No taxation without representation. 200 years of exploitation in the capital of this nation. No representation in the capital of this nation. 200 years of exploitation. Give the people their right to vote. Someone asked me, was it true? The voting rights of the district were long overdue. That was Sweet Honey in the Rock with Give the People Their Right to Vote. Hello and welcome to Shadow Politics, an hour-long grassroots talk show, which will attempt to shine a light on the issues that you care about. I'm your host, United States Senator Michael D. Brown, coming to you live from the District of Columbia, America's last colony. I'm joined by my co-host, Marilia Duffels, and together we hope our show will start a dialogue with America about the issues that are important to you and affect the lives of all of us. So you should feel the free to call in with any comments or any questions to 888-627-6008, especially tonight because it's just going to be me. Unfortunately, my co-host, Marilia Duffels, is out traveling around Europe um, on, on some important business, I'm sure, with her amazing husband. So it's just me tonight. And, and I'm going to discuss things, some things with my friend Doug from BBS Radio, who's a great guy. Uh, we don't always agree on things, but I think we like you. Well, at least I like him. I don't know how he feels about me. But uh, he's going to be on the show in a few minutes. But first, I want to talk about D.C. statehood because I spent the day, the entire day yesterday at a conference on D.C. statehood. And, you know, this is uh, – Primarily, why this show was started. The show was started many years ago, almost 10 years ago. So God bless Doug and and the other people at BBS Radio for keeping this going this long. But it was started about 10 years ago because I found out in my quest to get the right for people in the District of Columbia uh, those of you who, who know what's going on know that that even though I'm elected to the position of United States Senator, I have no vote in Congress. And in fact, the people of District of Columbia not only have no voting members of Congress, but they also don't control their budget or local laws. Congress controls the city, and that's wrong. We shouldn't have uh, taxation without representation. So in my effort to try to end that, I looked into what some of our problems were, and one of our problems was that most people in America didn't know that we didn't have the same rights they did. We couldn't get a political movement started, it seemed to me, because um, most people in America, although they agreed that we should have the same rights that they do, uh, were unaware that we didn't. So I thought, gee, how can we solve that? Maybe we can start something. Maybe we can start a, a, a radio show that on the Internet, a podcast that would be interesting to people, and they would tune in and um, listen, and we could let them know, not try to sell them necessarily, but let them know 
that we don't have the same rights that every other American has and and that that's wrong and it needs to change. And, you know, I've got to say that I've just been amazed at our show. I've been amazed that we've interviewed governors and senators and congressmen. We've had four presidential candidates. We've had the captain of the space shuttle, former head of NASA. We've interviewed Dan Rather. We legendary newsmen. We we've had Democrats and Republicans on the show. We've 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 interviewed uh, a lot of uh, de- you know um, Democratic politicians, but also Republicans. Michael Steele, who is the head of the Republican Party, uh, Governor Allen of Virginia, Wayne Gilchrist of Maryland, a lovely uh, Republican, a former Republican. Well, he's still a Republican, former congressman who uh, actually voted in favor of statehood, uh, the only Republican to ever do so. So we've just had an amazing show with a lot of um, amazing guests, and we hope that you're listening and we're going to continue to get amazing guests. Uh, It's summertime, so it's a little harder to get guests. And today we didn't have a guest, and I thought, you know what, maybe I should just talk. Uh, maybe I should just talk about the show and the things we want to do. And uh, so that's what we're going to do. And we're also going, I'm also going to discuss some issues with my friend Doug, because that was the other part of the show. The other idea behind the show was that my original uh, co-host, Maria Sanchez, uh, was a Republican woman from the West Coast, and I'm a Democratic man from the East Coast. And uh, Maria, after many faithful years, uh, has moved on to do other things in life. And my newer co-host, Marilia Duffels, is also someone who was uh, uh, appointed by two Republican presidents, uh, Ronald Reagan and George Bush, to offices in their administration. And uh, so, again, the idea was to have a different perspective, a woman uh, with a Republican background, really is now an independent, uh, but uh, someone that comes from a slightly different place than I do. And uh, she's brilliant. Both of these women were brilliant. Uh, I'm so honored that they would take the time to be on this show. They were really what makes the thing work. Um, um, but today it's me. So let's, so let's talk. Yesterday, I spent a um, the whole day at a conference on D.C. statehood. Uh, now, many of you might know that I've been the senator for the District of Columbia, the United States senator. I've been one of them for 16 years. Uh, I've done a lot, I think, to raise awareness of the issue. Um, I've had, for example, 21 opinion pieces published just in the Washington Post, as well as opinion pieces in other national publications. Uh, And and if you want to see any of them or read any of them, you can go to uh, two more Dems, spelled out, T-W-O-M-O-R-E-D-E-M-S.org, and you can see all the stuff that I've done uh, or, or much of the stuff that I've done in the past 16 years to try to promote D.C. statehood. But on to the uh, things that, that need to happen to make D.C. a state, 
that's really what the conference was about yesterday, bringing people together to talk about statehood. And there's some things that um, I think we don't understand, the general public doesn't understand about what's going on. We're out there, as politicians often do, excuse me, as politicians often do, we're out there beating the drum and saying, great news, we've gotten a statehood bill passed through the House of Representatives. And we have for the second time. And that is good news. It's moving the issue forward. 216 to 208 was the vote. And uh, Eleanor Holmes Norton, who's our delegate, did a great job on stewarding this bill through the uh, House for the second time. But here in lies the rub, as my friend Will Shakespeare would say. We have um, our bill now in the United States Senate, and it's stuck. Uh, we can't move it. And I'll talk about that in a minute. But I also want to point out that even though we like to go out there and, 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 and toot our own horn, so to speak, and tell you that we're closer to D.C. statehood than ever before, the truth of the matter is we've been closer to getting our rights on two other occasions. We had a constitutional amendment in the 1970s that passed both houses of Congress with bipartisan support. Uh, in fact, it had 21 more votes than we now have in the Senate. We have 46 votes. We have 46 co-sponsors in the Senate, and I'll talk about that in a minute. We also had another bill, the D.C. voting. By the way, the constitutional amendment would have treated us like a state for the purposes of representation. We would, good, we would have had two votes in the Senate and one in the House, and it passed, like I say, both houses, but then it had to be ratified, and uh, we had seven years to be ratified, and in seven years, only 16 states ratified it, and uh, so it fell far short of the two-thirds it needed to become law. And then we also had another thing uh, about 10 years ago called the D.C. Voting Rights Act, which passed with bipartisan support in both houses of Congress and uh, didn't become law because uh, 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 a senator from Nevada named Ensign put a really, really horrible gun amendment, tacked it onto the bill, and uh, so that killed it. Uh, so we've already had two bills passed both houses of Congress, and neither one of them have become law. And we're standing around clapping for a bill that's passed one house of Congress and is stuck in the Senate. And the reason it's stuck in the Senate is because there's this thing called cloture, where you need 60 votes to pass a bill. And the one thing about D.C. statehood is that it only has Democratic sponsors. Not one Republican voted for the bill. Of the 216 people in the House and the 46 people in the Senate who stand behind this bill, they're all Democrats, not one single Republican. And you know what? We uh, really are not going to move it until we do one of two things. We either get rid of culture, which we can. We can suspend cloture for the purposes of a voting rights. You know, it's done for other things. We could potentially do it for voting rights. But again, 
we would need 51 votes to make that happen. And right now, we have Senator Manchin, Senator Sinema, who both stand against changing the filibuster and do not support our bill. And also Senator Kennedy, a uh, Senator Kelly, rather, of Arizona, who doesn't support us, and Senator Angus King, who is independent from Maine. So we don't have enough votes to get rid of the filibuster. Now, there's a great sense out there that the Democrats are doing better and that we could actually pick up two seats in the United States Senate. And that would be great, except it's also pretty common knowledge or pretty well understood and predicted that the Republicans will take over the House of Representatives. They take over the House of Representatives, as expected. We would have to reintroduce the legislation in the next Congress. Not likely to pass, since we've only had one Republican, Wayne Gilchrist, God bless him, he was on our show, uh, who's ever supported D.C. statehood. It's not likely that the bill will get out of the House, and that means you know, it's stuck for another couple of years. So my idea, and what I tried to get across yesterday, is that we need to get America behind us. Now, how do we do that? It's, it, 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 this is an issue that has been portrayed over the years as something that affects Washingtonians and nobody else. And, you know, it, it, it's tough for people to feel our pain because nobody else has this situation. Nobody else in America is, is without representation except for the people of the District of Columbia. So they really don't have a sense of what we go through. So how do we get America behind us? Well, I think we deal with the truth. I think we talk about what's going on. I mean, Republicans say that this is not constitutional and that, you know, it violates this principle of democracy and that principle of democracy. And so what do we do? We go up there and we say, oh, it is constitutional. Uh, we've got experts that can prove that. And we bring constitutional experts up to testify and show that it's constitutional and that it is aligned with the principles of democracy, right? We believe in no taxation without representation. We don't believe in, 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 in taxation without representation. So this is a principle of our democracy. And, and But guess what? Every Republican, every independent, every Democrat on Capitol Hill understands that this is constitutional. And they understand that it's in line with the principles of democracy. So what else do we do? We go to court, of course, because this is America, and that's what we do. If we don't like you, we sue you. So we go to court and we say, uh, this violates our rights under the 14th Amendment. This violates our uh, rights, uh, you know, our, our, our right to representation, which is a, one of the cornerstones of democracy. And what does the court say? The court says, we feel your pain but you don't have a legal argument. You've got a political battle, not a legal battle. And that's because the Constitution of the United States says very clearly that Congress shall have exclusive legislation in all cases whatsoever over the District of Columbia. That means that Congress can have complete control 
over the District of Columbia. And guess what, folks? You can't have something declared unconstitutional, which is actually in the Constitution. So what do we do? We go back to court and we sue on under every conceivable thing that we can think of. And we just had another lawsuit thrown out last October and the court reaffirmed that this is a political battle. We have no legal leg to stand on. And what's the political battle over? It's about two more Democrats in the United States Senate and a, a Democrat that votes in the House. That's what it's all about. It's all about two more Democrats. It's got nothing to do with the Constitution. It's got nothing to do with your civil rights. It's got nothing to do with social justice. It's just about getting two more Democrats. And you know what? That's what statehood has always been about. It's always been about politics. The Missouri plan, which is most people understand, was the plan that was put into place so that uh, slave states and free states entered the union together. And that was all about politics. And that's why, for example, uh, Massachusetts or Maine is no longer part of Massachusetts. That was politics. It, politics is what created West Virginia. Uh, when Dakota wanted to become a state, they split it in half and made it North Dakota and South Dakota so that the Republicans could get four senators instead of two. So it's always, the fight's always been about politics. And this is what our fight's about. But what do we do again? We shy away from that. We say, oh, you know, we won't always elect Democrats. And that's one thing you should know. There are no elected Republican officials in the District of Columbia. There are only Democrats. We are the most Democratic jurisdiction in America. And there's very little doubt in the minds of anybody that knows anything about politics in America that we would elect two liberal Democrats. So what do we do with that? We shy away from it. We say, oh, you can't say that. They said that about Alaska and Hawaii before they let them in, that Alaska wouldn't hire, wouldn't elect a, uh, ever elect a Republican, and, and Hawaii would never elect a Democrat, and that's why they were brought in together. But uh, that's not true. Um, I mean, that is true, but that's not what's going on here. Um, we should not be saying that. We should not be hiding and shying away from that. We should embrace it. We should say, yes, it means two more liberal Democrats in the Senate and think what that would mean. If, you're a, if you believe in a woman's right to choose and you believe that that right needs to be protected, if you believe the environment's in danger, and that we need to invest in changing things now, and we need to make a, 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 a big investment in that. If you think there's too many guns on the street, or that there should be marriage equality, you should be able to marry whoever you want, or you shouldn't throw somebody in jail for smoking a joint, then you want two more liberal Democrats in, in, in the Senate. And I believe that's what we should be doing to get America behind us, to get the message out that this is not just about D.C. This is about America. I mean, 
We put almost no money into our effort. We send the single most compromised people in the district up to lobby on Capitol Hill. We send the mayor and the chairman of the city council to go up and speak on Capitol Hill uh, on this issue and try to lobby to uh, get our legislation unstuck in the Senate. And these are people that have to go to Congress every year and ask for hundreds of millions of dollars for the city. And they also understand that the members of Congress control the city. So they go up there and they're very polite. You know, it's constitutional. It's a great thing to do. But we need social action. We need America behind us. And we need to get the message out that this is not about D.C. This is about America. We don't spend any money on this issue. Our little city has a budget of $19 billion, and we spend a few hundred thousand dollars a year doing this. You know, there was $800 million spent on the election in Georgia. $800 million to get two senators from Georgia in a special election. You know what? If we spent $800 million in the District of Columbia on this issue, you'd have two United States, liberal United States senators, Democrats uh, in the, the, the Senate uh, tomorrow if we spent that kind of money. Uh, but uh, we don't. We, we, we just have, we think that the uh, righteousness of our cause will carry the day. It never does. And uh, it didn't with the constitutional amendment, uh, and, and it's not going to do it now. And, you know, one, one, two of the guests that we've had on our show, Walter Smith and Ralph Nader, you might remember Mr. Nader was the presidential uh, candidate for the Green Party. Uh, they both said that we should invest $10 million a year in this. $10 million a year, and we just won't do it. Um, we had a thing recently uh, called the CARES Act uh, when COVID hit hard. Uh, the states were all allocated money, but D.C. wasn't treated like a state. And we lost $770 million, we estimate, from that. Now, just imagine if we put $10 million into this for 70 years, we get our money back the first year on something like that. But instead of trying to fight, instead of trying to list, enlist America, we want to negotiate. So I want to tell you, this is what I'm here to do. I'm here to fight to get America behind us because this is the right thing to do. You know, my great, great, great grandfather, a man named Joel Prescott, enlisted in the Continental Army, when he was 17 years old, he put his life, liberty, and property on the line to secure these rights for me. And 200, almost 230 years later, I don't have the same rights. I don't have those rights yet. And it's wrong. I pay taxes. Uh, I signed up for the Selective Service when I was 18 years old in the middle of the war. And I deserve the same rights as everybody else. You know, we have. So many veterans in the District of Columbia. We have over 40,000 veterans in the District of Columbia. We fought in every war that the United States has ever been in. 
We didn't even have the right to vote for president until the 1960s. So it's time to end this foolishness. It's time to get America behind us. It's time for us to say to everybody out there, look, this isn't about you. This is just, this is about all of us. You know, Dr. King said that injustice anywhere was a threat to justice everywhere. And that's absolutely the truth. And this injustice has to end. It has to end. We're the only country in the world that does this. It's crazy. So we need to get America behind us. And we need to do more social action. You know, I've been arrested, uh, gone to jail, and went to trial uh, for standing up for D.C. statehood. I sat in front of the Senate. In fact, I'll tell you uh, a funny story. We went, and and we don't try our own cases in Washington, D.C. Can you believe that? The federal government is in charge of enforcing the laws, really, other than the local statutes uh, in the District of Columbia. So I went to traffic court. I was tried in traffic court, excuse me, with a bunch of other people, and we had to listen to a film on drunk driving before they would hear our case. And anyway, uh, when the case was over, uh, the judge said to me, uh, you are my hero. I really admire people that stand up for what they believe in. But even heroes can't sit in a damn street. You're guilty. And he found me guilty of obstructing traffic, and uh, I had to pay a $100 fine. But we need more of that. I was part of a thing called the the DC-41, where 41 of us got arrested. But we don't need 41 people to get arrested. We need 41,000 people to get arrested. We need to show up on the south lawn of the Capitol with one out of every 10 Washingtonians. That would be 70,000 people. And then it's a fight it's not a negotiation Rosa Parks didn't negotiate with the bus company she stood up and said no more so it's that's the two prong approach that we need to take we need Washingtonians to stand up and say no more and we need America to stand with us and say this is undemocratic and it must change. So we're going to reach out to all of you and we're going to do more of this uh, over the coming year with our radio show to get support behind us. Uh, let me tell you, I'm going to leave you before I get dug on and we talk about some of the interesting things that are going on in the world today. Um, besides this, uh, I'm going to leave you with what Frederick Douglass said. Frederick Douglass, in a very famous speech about the 4th of July, uh, a country divided, talked about what was needed uh, to, to, to uh, end slavery in, in America, given the divided country that we had at the time. You know, like I say, like the Missouri ban, slave states and non-slave states. And this is what he had to say. He said, had I the ability and could I reach the nation's ear, I would today pour out a fiery stream of biting ridicule, blastering, re blistering reproach, I'm sorry, withering sarcasm and stern rebuke 
for is not the light that is needed, but the fire. And that's what we need. We need the fire in D.C., uh, in our D.C. statehood movement. We need the fire locally with people showing up, and we need the fire of America standing behind us and saying, look, this is un-American. We want two more Democrats in the Senate. We want to stop the deadlock. We want to move things forward. That's what we need. And I hope that you'll join with us in supporting uh, D.C. statehood and uh, help at the local level to convince your legislators when you send them to Washington, D.C., that they should stand up with us. Uh, given that, I'm glad that you've listened to me and what I had to say on the issue that started our show. Uh, next week, I hope that Marilia will be back with us and we'll have another interesting guest for you. But right now, I want to bring on one of my favorite guests, a very interesting guy named Doug. Doug, are you out there? I am. Hi, Senator. I know. Oh, you know what? You sound so cool on the radio. You sound so much cooler than I do. Oh, come on. (laughs) It's true. You know, so let's talk about some things. Doug's in Texas and I'm in Washington. And I'm not sure that you can get any further away from Washington than Texas. Right. But but, uh, let's talk about uh, a few things that are going on. Uh, what about sending migrants? You guys, you know, they've sent 8,000 migrants to the District of Columbia and they've sent, they just recently sent 50 of them to, uh, uh, the vice president's house. And, and I'm sure the Secret Service is going nuts over that. <laughs> and, 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 you know, they sent them to Cape Cod. Imagine, you know, trying to get into America and finally getting into America and getting sent to Cape Cod, you must think America is like the most wonderful place on the planet, right? You know, uh, 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 <laughs> filled with filled with coffee shops and, and beautiful little restaurants right. and, and, you know, everybody's friendly and, and, you know, yeah, I wish, I would say would take me and send me to Cape Cod. <laughs> but, but what do you think of this? What do you think about us? Uh, about doing this. I understand that people in the Southwest, and that's where you are, want us to feel their pain. Mm. I think they think that we don't understand what it's like. Uh, you and I both know a woman named Kathleen Gomez, who was one of my dear friends mm-hmm. uh, for many, many years growing up. And she often talked to me about how horrible it was in her hometown of Douglas, Arizona. Mm. Because they're a border town mm. and they're just overwhelmed with this stuff. Mm. So I understand that they want us to do this, mm. uh, want us to understand this, but don't, what do you think about, uh, it seems horrible to me to be using people as pawns in, in this, in this way to get this message across. What do you think? I know, uh, uh, some prior hosts that live, uh, on the Rio Grande, right on the water, have land. Uh, bordering Mexico and Texas. And, you know, if you hear it coming from them, they always, they, you know, they, they were speaking about this a decade ago and all the way through to present. In fact, yeah. they're actually angry. Uh, yeah. Angry because, you know, the, 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 
they literally, they have to worry. They're worried about their homes. They're worried about their property. They're worried about so much. And I, you, and, and you feel for them. You do feel for them. Mind you, they're right on the border area, these individuals. Right. Um, but I don't agree with using people as pawns. I don't believe. I don't think that I, I understand the strategy of waking up society to a point of view, and maybe right. you know this was a way to galvanize media attention around the idea that you know the borders being overrun, and it it was effective. Look, it put it in the news. Right, it did. But, but I don't believe using people as pawns is the right thing to do. So it's a moral issue for me. Um, and you know, if you start dealing with politics and you take out morality and in many ways, politics does do that because there's a, there's a, a point, you know, uh, give and take, you know, for a little bit less bad, I'm going to have a little bit more good, right? There's no real absolutes in politics. And so it kind of blurs the lines between what's right and wrong per se, because you're always trying to do a better deal. It's not so much that. It's kind of getting, winning more points. But I disagree with it. I, I think it should be stopped. Um, you know, there's got to be better ways than using people in this in this way. Got to be. Well, I agree with you uh, 100%. And, and, you know, and, and one of the additional problems I have with uh, this is that it makes the uh, – people that are coming across the border that are coming in the United States, it makes them the villains. This is, you know, right, if this right. is a horrible problem and there's a villain, maybe the the government, the state government in Texas is the villain. Maybe the federal government's the villain. Maybe, you know, there are people that should take responsibility for this and, and straighten it out. But people coming to find a better life uh, and freedom, I'm not sure they should be the villains. Now, my grandparents emigrated from Italy. You know, we all act, this is the funny thing about being an American, right? We all act like all our ancestors were over in Europe partying, and they were all <laughs> European royalty, and, and one day they said, hey, y'all, let's go over to the United States and see what's happening over there. No, they were starving. They were the same people that are coming over now. They were starving. They were politically oppressed. They were, uh, you know, they didn't have jobs. They didn't have futures. That's why they came to America. Right. And that's what made America the great. So right. that's another problem I have is, is victimizing, uh, uh, victimizing them. But I can tell you, America, from my friends that live, uh, Kathleen wasn't my only friend. From there, her family and her family, and they all say the same thing: that 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 their community has been decimated by this. So something does need to be done, and I hope some good comes out of that. Uh, now I want to talk to you about a really an issue that I know you have an opinion on, and that you will probably be an expert. Uh, they're releasing <laughs> pictures of UFOs. Did you read this? Right. The, the, of classified UFOs. What do you think? You think there's UFOs out there? And that the government's been covering it up because they're afraid that we'll all freak out? You know, we all had that Orson Welles thing, right? War of the Worlds, where, where people actually committed suicide 
because mm. of a radio broadcast where Orson Welles said that there were aliens from outer space that were invading New Jersey. Okay, now right. let me tell you something. <laughs> Somebody with higher intelligence would not come and invade New Jersey. They, 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 they would invade, right? They would invade Cape, maybe they invade Cape Cod. Maybe they invade Las Vegas, you know? Maybe they invade San Diego or something. But they're sure as hell not going to invade Newark. You know, because nobody wants it. So, uh, you know, but what do you think? You think the government's been really has been like hiding stuff from us, and there's really people out there that are trying to connect, or not people, but 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 aliens trying to connect with us. Hmm. I'll tell you, even you know, religion on some level gave us the understanding that there's an invisible higher power, right? Right. And gave us Ten Commandments. And, you know, we can't see, we can't touch, we can't feel. And yet we have a belief that this is real, which almost goes against any sane mind. Right. There's just. Right. Right. Now, so so we, we, we know that people will, are willing to go there. And we I don't know if we could call it, you know, sane or not sane, given that most of the world believes in religion on some level, even though today we're starting to. You know, a lot of people aren't waking up to the idea that there is a, a God. They're more, you know, believing the opposite. But I, I, you know, my brother would, my twin brother, he would say, nope, Doug, there's definitely aliens. And I would say, Don, I'll believe it when I see it. It's just hard for me to believe in things I cannot see. I'm a little bit more. Uh, I'm not, let's per se, I'm a, I'm a pantheist, pantheist in religion, which means I believe in God, but I'm able to associate God with everything, everything you see, you touch, you feel, the universe, energy. So I kind of, that's to me, it's not something outside of the universe, overlooking the universe like an old man with a cane, you know, looking at a globe. It's it. I give it structure. I give it feel. It's not that I give it the sun isn't God. Everything is God. It's kind of a pantheistic idea. So I'm a realist in that way. An alien, I have never seen an alien craft. I've never seen an alien. So it's tough for me to believe that the government is hiding technology that can make the world a better place. And we, you know, should uh, all check out area 51 it's really hard for me to believe this well and i agree with you and i feel much the same way you do about god i i think that god interferes in my life all the time i i I listen for things that that god is trying to say i think that he that, that god talks to all of us and 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 but most of us don't know how to listen we don't know what you know? What what the plan is? What what's trying to be said? So I agree with you, a hundred percent. And if you've never met an alien, I wish I could introduce you to my ex mother in law. You would have, you know. And look, Doug. Now that I, I mean, you've got me started. Now that you mentioned the Ten Commandments, I got to tell you a joke. Okay? <laughs> I know people are gonna call in and say, "Oh, what a horrible thing to say!" But I got to tell you, I went to the Biden. I'm sorry, I went to the Obama acceptance speech, and 
what they did at the Obama acceptance speech in Denver was they took us all on buses. It was a security thing. Nobody could come in a car. Nobody could show up by themselves. You had to go to a checkpoint, be checked in, get on a bus, and the bus would bring you to it. So we all went on buses. So we're coming home on a bus, and I'm sitting next to an 80-year-old rabbi from Brooklyn, and he told me this joke, so i got to tell it to you. He said, there are two people, two, two guys that ride bicycles in this little town. One of them is a priest and one of them is a rabbi. And so the priest is out one day and he sees the rabbi and the rabbi's walking. He's not on his bike. So he walks up to him and he, he pedals up to him and he says, Rabbi, where's your bicycle? And the rabbi says, oh, I don't know where my bike is. I came down today. I, I couldn't find my bike. I think somebody stole it. And he goes, oh, that's a terrible thing, somebody stealing your bicycle. He said, but let me tell you something. Somebody stole my watch one time, and I did a fire and brimstone uh, uh, sermon on the Ten Commandments. And when I got to the commandment, thou shalt not steal, the guy felt so bad he come and give me my watch back. And the rabbi said, oh, that's a wonderful idea, Father, I'm going to use it. It's Old Testament. It's my book. I know it. I'm going to do it. So a few days later, he's out. The priest is out. And lo and behold, there's the rabbi on his bicycle. So he goes up and he goes, Rabbi, you got your bike back. And the rabbi goes, yeah, I got my bike back. And it's wonderful. I have a wonderful day out there. It's beautiful. I got my bike. And he said, did you do the sermon on the Ten Commandments? And the rabbi goes, yeah, the congregation loved it. And he said, when you got to the commandments, you shall not steal. Somebody come and give you your bike back. And the rabbi went, no. But when I got to the commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery, I remember why I left the bike. <laughs> and the 80-year-old rabbi told me that, that joke. I, I, I I just think it's so, you know, it, it was great. So anyway, <laughs> with that, let's move on. I want to talk to you uh, about guns. How do people in Texas feel? You know, we had a horrible incident here. We had a professional football player who plays for the Washington team who a 13-year-old shot twice, I think, 10 days ago in, in attempted carjacking. Now the young man is, is is recovering. He's not playing for the for the commanders right now because he's in recovery, but he is going to survive. But it just seems to me so audacious that a 13-year-old would attack a professional football player. I mean, when I was 13, I surely would have been intimidated by anybody that played for the NFL. And part of it is, is that we have too many guns on the streets in Washington, D.C., and I know that, that people have a different attitude about guns in Texas. I grew up around guns, so I know this. Uh, what, do you th what can we do? Do you think we need to do something? Do we need to reinstitute the assault weapons ban? Do we need to make sure that people have... You know, what I don't understand, Doug, is, is, is if you own a car, because of the potential danger that it can do, you need to prove that you can drive it, you need to have a license to have it, and you need to have it insured. You think we can do the same thing with guns? I think that 
we here's where I get lost because there, whenever I don't have a, a a point of view, it's because I don't have enough information. I have information that's just in all directions, but nothing really concrete. Like, what are the studies that indicate that if you have guns, that it lowers crime or it increases crime? Or cities that have no guns for a certain period of time, what's, what's the correlation? And country after country, place after place, give me that data. And let me sift through it. Make it simple. Like if, it, if it's too complex, it usually means that the person telling the information doesn't know what they're talking about. So we, we got to make it simple and we got to know the data. I don't know it. I mean, it's almost, I hear on one side, oh, well, it saves lives. And, you know, in, in, in places where they have, they ban uh, guns, well, it's just the outlaws that have guns. Or you might hear something like, well, in the cities with, um, no guns, you have the highest amount of crime. Now, is that true? Well, is it Democrat? Is it Republican? You know, the Republicans are going to say, well, it's Democratic cities. Um, I, you know, I just hear so much, but I don't have any data in my head to say, no, this is the data facts. Now, personally, I don't shoot a gun. I couldn't kill anything. If there's a bug right. on the floor, I'm going to pick it up and I'm going to put it outside. Remember, I'm a pantheist, so I kind of believe everything has a purpose. God and everything is, you know, a beautiful thing. So if I, I don't want to hurt anything. Um, and I, and, and I have, I actually shot a gun once at a little, at a little squirrel and I hit it in the head and it was just a BB gun. And I remember it falling off a ledge and I remember looking at it and I must have been 10, 11 years old. And I looked down at the squirrel and it was twitching and I, my heart broke. I, I mean, my, yeah. I couldn't, I, I was like, oh my gosh, I just hurt this, this thing. And it's just, and so I started to hit it with a stick because I thought it was in pain. I didn't, and you know, I, this is, I, I still choke up when I think about this. I hit that thing so many times trying to get it to stop twitching and looking at me and I couldn't get it to die. Imagine a kid trying to do this. Never go on to hear it. And he couldn't get this thing to die because I actually hit it with the BB and hit it in the head. And it just, maybe it was just kind of, it would have stirred back to life. But I was so, that it just made me go cuckoo. So, oh no, I think, I don't like guns. I don't want to use a gun. If it's me, I'll give you my rights to the gun. No problemo. But as for the rest of society, I don't. No, I believe that there is an argument that can be made that says it's not the gun, it's the person. Because maybe it's not guns. Let's ten years from now, it might be laser beams. If it's not laser beams, it might be you know something else uh, into the future. There's going to be things in the future that are going to be just as deadly. Does that mean we we ban them all? Maybe we do. Maybe the world would be better if we could get them out of everybody's hands. That would be great. Um, but I just don't know if we can until we can get them out of everybody's hands, not just the, you know, citizens hands, but the criminals hands. That's the only argument of having guns for protection. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I think you make two really important points. I think the first point you make is that a 10 year old boy, you didn't understand really what you were doing. You know, I don't know why you shot the squirrel because it was a game or you had a gun and it was cool, but you didn't understand what the end result of that was going to be. And I think that's the same thing that happened with the 13-year-old boy. You know, I think that 
that's why we have to keep the guns out of out of children's hands because mm-hmm. they don't see the end result. Right. They don't see past the end of their damn nose. And and you know I've had a thirteen year old kid. I'd be scared to de- and he was a good guy. And I'd be scared to death if if, if he had a gun. Mm. But yeah, I, I I agree with that. And 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 that's one of the things I need think we need to do. And I think we need to keep ridiculous weapons out of the hands of of uh, crazy people like assault weapons. Sure. And that's one of the problems with saying only the bad guys will have guns because the guy that killed all those kids in Uvalde, Texas, had no criminal record. The guy that killed all the kids in 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 Connecticut had no criminal record. Right. The guy at, at, at the Florida school had no criminal record. So it really is good people with guns that are killing good people. Not, right. not, not, not criminals, not right. people, you know, the hold up guy, the guy holding you up. What do they say? If you get held up, don't resist. Hmm. Why? Because if you don't resist, you'll probably live. Right. The guy wants your money. He doesn't want your life. He wants your money. And, and, and so, uh, you know, I, I think there are arguments we know we've seen in Japan. They had one murder with a gun last year. They have very tough gun laws. They have over 17 million people with 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 one one gun related death. In in England, almost unheard of. But you know what? The argument you make about the lasers and the other stuff, there certainly have been a lot of people stabbed in London. You know, there was that incident on the bridge where several people were stand so stabbed. So some bad guys will I agree. Will do whatever it takes to 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 get their hands on a weapon, and I think you should have the right to protect yourself if that's the way you feel. In the District of Columbia, I think we have a good law, and that's anybody can own a shotgun. You want to protect your family, you want to protect your home. A shotgun is a good way to do it. Uh, you can't carry it around. You can't, you know, you can't conceal it. So you know, it, it makes it safer for the community. Sure. But yeah, that's a tough one, and 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 and. Uh, but I I think you make an important point about telling the story about being ten years old. Uh, kids, we gotta find a way to keep them out of the hands of children. Uh, more children are killed with guns every year than bad guys, anyway, and that's why I never had one in my home uh, because I had kids, you know, and my mm-hmm. father had a gun, and when I was a little boy, I found it every time they hid it from me. You know, because I had more time to look for it than they had to hide it. You you know what I mean? Right. And yeah, yeah, Dad, I will look in the sock drawer. That's a great great (laughs) idea. You know, but and and if you do, and if you do have a handgun, I I understand that people for protection. If you have to lock it up in a safe, if you have to keep the bullets in a different room, yeah, I understand how that doesn't work. So some laws, but the law they just passed, that that the federal law that they're all out there beating the drum about, talking about how great it is, that there's the more enhanced uh, background checks. Like I said, the guy in Uvalde, he didn't have a problem. The guy in, mm-hmm. in, in Massachusetts, in Connecticut. But, you know, the crazy thing is, like, we have to change the laws, too, so they're consistent. The guy in Uvalde 
bought an AR-15 style rifle, assault rifle, because he was too young to buy a handgun. They wouldn't sell him a handgun. He went into the gun store and he said, I want a handgun. And they go, oh, you're not 18, you can buy a Or 21, I think you can't buy a handgun. But you can buy this assault rifle. You know, that's just crazy. Sure, it is crazy. It is. We got to change some of of those laws. Well, we're running out of time here, so I want to ask you one last question. Sure. How How do you think President Biden's doing? As a matter of fact, he's actually improving lately. I know that his numbers are doing better lately. Yeah. You know, he's a gentleman. He's, he, he, people yeah. call him this, the grandpa, right? Your grandpa. Yeah. Um, because he really does come across as a person who cares. He, you know, these genuine, he has feelings. Um, and you kind of sense that about him. So I think he's doing better overall lately. I think he's been put in a tough position. Oh my yeah. goodness! I mean, look around. We've got uh, a, a lot, a lot on the plate, uh, internationally yeah. as well as nationally. So I don't envy his position or any politician's position. To be honest with you, um, I wouldn't want it. I, I don't wouldn't want to be a leader of men. Um, but I think he's doing better. So uh, hey, maybe you got a shot at uh, maintaining. Uh, a few more seats in the House and maybe an equal Senate. I, I, I'm not sure. But. Yeah, I think we're going to do better in the Senate. I don't know about the, the House. And let me tell you, you are a leader of men. You're my muse. You, you, you're my inspiration. So don't ever think you're not a leader of men. But, but you know, I worked for Jimmy Carter. And I think history is going to say the same thing about Joe Biden in some respects that they said about Carter. You know, Nixon really showed the dirty kind of end of politics to America, you know. And so what did they do? They went out and they elected a man who was a really good man. He's a really good man. Jesus Christ. He's 20-some, he's 90-some years old and he still teaches Sunday school. Right. And, and you know, and, and helps build houses for the poor. So he was a really good man. Not the best president. I worked for him, and, and I'm proud that I worked for him, but not the best president. And and I think you're going to say that about Biden, too. All those things that you just said, that he's nice and he's concerned, and he's uh, those are things that we didn't feel with Donald Trump. Right. No matter how you feel about how Donald Trump ran the country, maybe you think he was a great, great president. But but no, I don't. But maybe you do. And and but the thing no, is, no, I don't think he cares about your average individual. Yeah, he doesn't. <laughs> care. That's, that's obvious. He doesn't care. But Biden cares. So maybe that'll be it. And now we're out of time. I wish I had more time to talk to you, Doug. Thanks so much for being on the uh, on the show with me tonight Thank and you. and filling in. And Thank we're you. gonna play a song for you like we always do. I say that every important thing I ever, I'm a child of the 60s, and every important thing I ever learned, I learned from a rock and roll song. So here's the most, if I if, if I was going to go tomorrow, if they told me this was my last day on earth and asked me for three pieces of, of, of you know, three things that I think were important to pass on to posterity, uh, this would be one of them, uh, that you can't always get what you want, but if you try sometimes, you get what you need. So here's the Rolling Stones. We'll see you next week. I saw her today at the reception. 
ocean A glass of wine in her hand I knew she was gonna meet her connection At her feet was a footloose man You can't always get what you want